Radioactive plugs you into the community weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones, and your support means Radioactive can keep passing the mic to people and nonprofits making a difference, like the ACLU of Utah. We are participating in the Women's March because as an organization, we have a lengthy history of defending reproductive freedoms throughout the United States. Radiothon starts October 29th. Help us to keep plugging you into the community by making your donation online at krcl.org. Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats on KRCL. And that song is Survivor off the album The Future, coming out November 5th on Stax Records and starting us off on Radioactive Tonight. I'm Laura Jones. Welcome to the show where we plug you into the community with great conversations and a playlist to match. Like that song right there. Good song for a conversation we'll have coming up later this hour. One in three women in Utah will experience domestic violence in her lifetime, and one in seven men. The isolation and uncertainty, due in large part to this COVID pandemic that we've been going through, has resulted in more demand for domestic violence crisis services, including shelter. And in response, domestic violence providers across Utah have come together this October for a Domestic Violence Awareness Month campaign called Stop the Violence Utah. Stick around and you'll hear from Liz Solis, Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, and Gladys Larson, Director of Development at the Safe Harbor Crisis Center in Davis County. Election season is heating up as the general election of November 2nd rapidly approaches, folks. We'll have an update on your ballots and a Utah campaign for term limits coming up next. The International Rescue Committee in Salt Lake City needs new or like-new winter clothing for our newly arrived refugees, adults, and children as they resettle into our community. Find a list of needed items on our website, krcl.org. And thanks, y'all, for always helping out. This is Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. There's a new director of the Push for Term Limits here in Utah. Stick around to meet Tina Cannon. First, county clerks across Utah started dropping mail-in ballots in the mail today. To find out more, I spoke with the clerk right here in Salt Lake County. Sherry Swenson, Salt Lake County clerk. And I'm guessing you are busy this week sending out ballots. Tell us what's happening this week with our general election and ballots going out, Sherry. So ballots are being mailed today. Uh, They've been prepared by our print vendor and they're mailing out from the Salt Lake Main Post Office to those voters throughout the county in the cities who are holding municipal elections. And it is not the entire county but it is uh, about 89% of the voters in Salt Lake County will receive a ballot. Now, across the state, there are 23 municipalities, I believe, doing ranked choice, and there are nine last check in the county. So tell us how that's going to play out as these ballots start to drop and we open up a new experience in the mail. Yes. So for the cities who opted because their legislative bodies made the decision to participate in the pilot project and have their uh, municipality conduct their election with ranked choice voting. If enough candidates file to have the option to rank them, voters will see that option on their ballot. Instead of just voting for one, they will be able to rank the candidates uh, in the order of their choices. So what happens on when you tabulate those? We've heard in past elections from other areas that have said 
municipalities or those election organizers weren't ready to deal with this, but uh, Salt Lake County is. Well, so, um, it isn't It isn't a matter of us not being ready to tabulate those. I think the, the part of this that we need to make voters understand is that how it works. And the first thing, a lot of the questions that we're already receiving is do voters have to rank every candidate? And no, they don't. It would not invalidate your ballot if you don't use all the choices or rank all the candidates. However, I should say that if the candidate that you most prefer, the candidates you most prefer are eliminated, if you don't make those extra choices, then you wouldn't have a say in those choices. So I would encourage you if you feel good about ranking more candidates rather than fewer, that it's good to do so. So when it comes to tabulating, remind folks how ranked choice voting works and what happens to those who come in at, say, the bottom of the pack. So in the first round, a voter's first choice is counted. In the second or third choices, it will be counted if the voter's earlier choice has been eliminated. So the way it works is uh, it runs the ballots through the tabulation system. And if none of the candidates get over 50%, then it goes to an elimination process. And so the, le- the voter with the least amount of votes is then excluded and those votes are reallocated and it's run through again. And that continues on until one of the candidates reaches a majority of over 50 percent. Now, Election Day is the first Tuesday in November, as always. That makes it November 2nd this year. When do I have to put my ballot or have it postmarked in the mail versus dropping it off or voting in person on November 2nd? So if you're returning your ballot by mail, it does have to be postmarked by the day before Election Day, which would be Monday, November 1st. And we want to make sure voters understand, do not put it in your home mailbox and expect that it will be postmarked. We encourage you, in fact, if you're returning your ballot by mail, that you do so maybe even by mailing it the Friday before Election Day. If you miss mailing your ballot back, we have drop boxes throughout the county. Uh, You can take a ballot to the drop box until 8 p.m. on election night, or you could drop your ballot at any one of our vote centers. We'll have 22 vote centers open on election day, and you could drop your ballot at one of the vote centers. So if you miss mailing it, getting it properly postmarked, you're not out of luck. You can still take your ballot to a drop box and drop it until 8 p.m. on election night when the polls close. Is there an in-person voting option on the second? And if so, what do I need to bring with me in terms of ID? So there are in-person voting options. We have both early voting here at the County Government Center beginning on October 19th from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then we are opening opening additional early voting locations, five additional locations throughout the county, and they're listed on my website. And you can go to any one of those early vote locations Um, on the designated days, the 26th through the 29th, and vote in person, but you will need to bring ID to do in-person voting. And then on election day, we have 22 vote centers throughout the county. So if you didn't get a ballot in the mail, if you moved, didn't get your address updated or whatever, you can go to one of the in-person voting locations on election day. The vote centers can vote in person, but again, you need to show ID. 
This is all in Salt Lake County that we're talking about, folks. And Sherry, is there same-day voter registration this year? Yes. At an in-person location, either early voting or on election day, if you did not get registered to vote and you want to register and vote, you may do so. And you just need to show ID, but you also need to show something to prove that you reside at your address. That can be a utility bill, a bank statement, so ID and proof of residency, and you will be able to register and vote in person. And for folks to get more information or perhaps wonder where their ballot is and need help tracking it down, what should they do? Give you a call, go to your website? They can call us or they can go to the um, lieutenant governor's website, track your ballot, and that's vote.utah.gov. And what's your website where folks can get more details and watch election returns on November 2nd? got-vote.org is our website. Got-vote.org. We'll be sure to put all those links in the show notes. And Salt Lake County Clerk Sherry Swenson, thanks for giving us an update as ballots go into the mail this week. Thank you. You're welcome. Check tonight's show notes for links to the Salt Lake County Elections Office, the State Elections Office, and more. And if you'd be so kind, let me know when you get your ballot in the mail, okay? I want to know when they land, folks. Call the Radioactive Hotline 385-800-1889. Tell me your name, your city, and anything else that strikes you about the ballot you've received, especially if your municipality opted for ranked choice voting. This is Radioactive, and late last month, U.S. term limits announced a new Utah state chair for its campaign. The group runs the largest grassroots term limits advocacy group in the country. Let's pass that mic and meet the new Utah rep. I'm Tina Cannon. I'm with U.S. Term Limits, and I'm here to talk about term limits on our congressional delegations. Tina, thanks so much for giving us some time. You've just been named the Utah representative, chapter director. What's the uh, technical term? You know, I didn't really ask them what my technical term was. I'm just the state chair for this. So that means that I am, I get to take all the blame and the credit, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Well, practically speaking, let's talk about term limits in this red of red states we call Utah. Doesn't seem to be a lot of will for it, although I do remember Orrin Hatch saying when he was running the first time many decades ago, what do you call a congressman who's been in D.C. for X number of years? You call him home. And then he stayed for over 40, as I recall. That's exactly how I recall it. So it. It's very popular among voters, not so popular among incumbents, I should say, that that's the point of Congress. We're, we're there, they're there to be a representative of the people. And this is one way to bring that representation back and to have that conversation about how to best represent the people and their desires. And this is one of those issues that is very, very popular among voters. And it's a bipartisan issue. It is almost as popular among Republicans as it is among Democrats. And we've seen that in our state legislators who have signed on to this issue to support it, that this is very well supported among both Republicans and Democrats in Utah. Well, we don't want to let go of our offices, either as the office holder or the folks who help get them elected. It's always someone else's congressman or congresswoman that should go, right? Exactly. We always seem to think that it's the other people who have the problem. And that's one of the beautiful things about an Article 5 conventions. Most people don't realize that there were 34 states who had limited their congressmen by 1994. And it was the Supreme Court who stepped in and said, no, in order for you to limit 
um, your congressional delegation, you have to do that through an Article 5 convention or through a um, constitutional amendment. So this process has started over since 1994, and we've been gaining speed and gaining momentum across the country as we get back to those core issues of how we best represent the people and not special interests or long or career politicians. Tell us a bit about yourself and then let's get to your game plan. Talking about myself is always the hardest part. I am a, I own an accounting firm. I've spent my life doing taxes. That's how I got involved in um, politics. When I do tax, I don't ever follow logic. I became an accountant because I liked the logical lay of numbers and how they all worked out. And as I focused on taxation, especially business taxation, I found that that is not true of governmental policy. There is no rhyme, reason, or logic to tax. This is all a political issue. So that's really where my passion for politics comes from. It is an occupational hazard that I have to follow the, the whims and desires of new legislators. And I find I have to change my job with every president and every Congress as I find out what their new tax policies are going to be. And that's that's really difficult on small businessmen as they try to plan long-term, as most people do in their lives, for how to, where to focus and where to have their, their money to do to make the most of their business, to help it grow, to, to really grow and flourish as individuals and as business owners. I understand you understand this issue firsthand. As a former member of the Morgan County Council, you were term limited. Yes, we were. And so I got to see it up close and personal, got to experience what that looks like. When the state legislator, legislature outlawed term limits across the state, that is no longer true in Morgan County. But when I ran, it was against someone who had been term limited or she stepped down, which gave the opportunity for other people to step in. And that, that created a, a turnover and an ability for more people to be involved in government and not just watch from the sidelines. Well, I have no inference of what your political party is, but I'm all for term limits. So what is the game plan to help create better turnover, more representation through term limits in our country, let alone Utah? So this goes through the state legislature, and this is a single issue Article 5 convention. This is exactly the same process that was used to limit to, to put term limits on presidential um, on presidents, I guess you'd say, or presidential candidates, which are already term limited. So it takes 34 states and Utah already have, as of September 21st, we had 25 legislators in the state of Utah that had signed on. So we're at an uphill battle as we go. Hopefully we can get them talking about this after we're done with redistricting. And then we'll, we'll continue on. I've met several of the state chairs across the country. It's gaining momentum in our surrounding states and across the country. So we're hoping we're all working together to get this as an issue on and an Article 5 convention within the next year. And that would be here in the state of Utah. Are you working through the organization as well um, to support other states and their efforts? Oh, of course. So I just met with um, the representative from Arizona, also the representative from Georgia, and we had great conversations about how it's going in their states and, and the popularity of the issue. And, and what, we're, what we're finding is, yeah, it's kind of one of those, oh, yeah, that's not a hard issue. This is really very, very popular among voters, overwhelmingly popular among voters, which makes it very popular among legislators who want to stay popular among those voters. 
it's a weird kind of, I don't know, catch 22. I think lawmakers find themselves in the longer you're there, the more power you have to get things done either individually or with a caucus of some sort. But the longer you're there, the longer you're there. In fact, you have a nice way of explaining it that has to do with eight track tapes and Ford Pintos. It's true. We have nine, um, members of our national delegation who have been there over 40 years. And if you go back over 40 years and the issues we're dealing with now, they're not necessarily the same thing or relevant. So I find that those types of things will make this an easier selling point for state legislators. As Also, as we go forward, one of the things that doesn't get talked about very much and I'm passionate about as a woman in Utah politics is it changes the diversity. When we, when we put term limits on, you, and you can see that through the 36 states that have term limits on their governors and 15 state legislators, that it increases the diversity and representation, especially among women. And that is an important issue for all of us is because women don't get into politics to spend a career there. They're usually get in, get things done. And this is an issue that really works well for that. All right. So Tina, how can people get involved here in Utah? And do you have any events or uh, a timeline coming up that we need to be aware of? No events. As of yet, we're watching what's going on across the state for large gatherings and those types of issues. But how you can get involved is to contact your state legislator, both House and Senate, and ask for their support on this issue. If you would like more information, you can always go to termlimits.com um, and find out more about the issue. Research, there's a great Q&A out there, questions and answers, facts on the issue, and who has already signed on so you can know if your state legislature legislator has done so. Tina Cannon, the new Utah State Chair for the U.S. Term Limits Campaign. Check tonight's show notes for a link, especially if you'd like to get involved. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive. And as we face another general election, I encourage you, register to vote, vote. And to underscore that point, here's Charles Wright and the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band, a song that goes back to 1970, Express Yourself, on KRCL. Express Yourself! Express Yourself, a great song as ballots are dropping in the mail and you have a chance to uh, have your voice heard through the ballot box. That's Charles Wright and the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band. It was their signature song after its release in 1970 off the album Express Yourself. I'm Laura Jones and this is Radioactive. Our final conversation to plug you into the community tonight deals with a tough topic, so I hope you're going to stick around and hear what my guests have to say as October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. There are more than a dozen nonprofits that work with those experiencing domestic violence across Utah. They range in size and scope of services, but they are all committed to offering safety and support to survivors of domestic violence, and most also offer prevention education in order to address the root causes of domestic violence. Let's pass the microphone and find out more. Hi, I'm Gladie Larson. I'm Director of Development for Safe Harbor Crisis Center. And I'm Liz Salas. I'm the spokesperson for Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. Thank you so much for giving us some time. October is uh, National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and there's always a challenge to bring this conversation to the public. It's so fraught with vulnerability, with violence, with um, just a hard thing to talk about, I think. And maybe that's where we could start 
and maybe share the mission of your organizations. Gladdy, tell me more about Safe Harbor Crisis Center in Davis County and how you facilitate these conversations or awareness in the community. Uh, Yeah, we are in Davis County, like you said. Um, Our shelter was um, founded in 1994 and opened its doors in 1997. Um, Initially, uh, that location was an indisclosed uh, location, but now we have the opportunity to have a lifeline and prevention center that allows us to uh, connect with the community through donations, volunteering, and events. And that location is going to start fairly soon. Uh, it's going to open in Layton fairly soon, uh, just in March of 2022. And it it gives us a really good opportunity to, to talk to uh, our community and to be able to teach them a few of those steps, uh, some of those red flags to look for and what to do as a community member. I think as a member of the media, it's really easy for me to focus on what's close to me in the capital city, so to speak. And so finding out about resources that are further afield is really important to share with the public and to have that conversation that, you know, this issue affects everyone and has no respect for socioeconomic conditions. Tell us about the folks you serve in Davis County and uh, what the demand is for domestic violence services there, Gladdy. Uh, our uh, services, uh, we offer domestic violence services. We um, also offer sexual assault services, and um, we do have uh, different services because we offer therapy services at Safe Harbor as well. Our therapy services are trauma-informed, and our numbers have increased dramatically. As you may imagine, after the pandemic, uh, there was what we considered a shadow pandemic, Um, Domestic violence, um, it uses isolation as one of those tools to um, have power over the uh, victim. And unfortunately, um, with us being um, what should have been a stay-at-home order and it should have been a safe uh, place to stay, that increased the number of services that we had to provide uh, during the month, during the year of 2020, and it has continued to increase because, unfortunately, the pandemic did not. It, it created other other problems, like financial, um, uh, the it displacing of housing. There was just a lot of other things that we had to deal with. So in 2020, our services increased by about 40 percent. And in 2021, that continues to increase. So this year alone, uh, we have served over 4,000 people. Wow, up in Davis County. You know, the isolation of COVID, uh, you know, domestic violence thrives in isolation. And then you add a pandemic on top of things. Um, you those, those checks and balances, if you will, of seeing your friends at church, at the grocery store, at the gym, children in school, teachers noticing things, those um, safety valves are not in play as much as they have been, although it's starting to come back. Right, Gladys? Yes, and it's slowly coming back. Uh, One thing that we have noticed is that the services continue to increase because the awareness is there, which is um, something that makes us very happy because we're starting to notice 
that there are people that are coming to use our services before they are in an emergency crisis, which is what we prefer. Uh, we want to teach people how to identify um, you know, potential ways to um, have a healthy relationship. How can we stay at home? How can we keep those families together and just build those relationships so that we can stop the violence before it begins. Okay, hold that thought because I want to cycle back to this before we're done, Gladdy. But I'd like to bring in Liz Solace here. She is with the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. And full disclosure, Liz in Salt Lake City has great musical taste, and we go back a ways as friends. Thanks for being here, Liz. Thank you for having me. So talk about the the coalition and the work it does, because there are over a dozen nonprofits that work with those experiencing domestic violence across Utah. Right. So Utah Domestic Violence Coalition works to works with the victim service providers around the state to provide technical support. Their focus is advocacy, collaboration, education, and of course, prevention. One of the main things that it does is focuses on policy and funding that can support these service providers around the state. Additionally, they operate the Utah Domestic Violence Link Line. And it's called a link line because the intention is to link people with resources. What's that number? That number is 1-800-897-LINK, 1-800-897-LINK or 5465. And anyone can call the number at any time. It's free, confidential, statewide. If you want to call someone in a crisis line in your area, the victim service providers have their own crisis lines as well. I guess that's something I wanted to point out is although we sought or received 2,000, more than 2,000 calls in 2020, and we know we saw an increase in calls, we also know that calls were being placed to these victim service providers crisis lines around the state. And around the state, every provider uh, informed us that they saw an increase of anywhere from 20 to 50% in calls, depending on their location. Now, Liz, you and I talk a lot about different stories that end up in the news, how the media treats it, how the public receives it. And this Gabby Petito case that's still unfolding um, brought up a lot of interesting questions or conversations. And I just wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about it a bit with me because, um, you know, we're getting this video and audio out of Moab PD and who did what first and when. But really, you know, the only person to blame for Gabby Petito's now death, homicide, is the person who did it. Correct. Um, and I, I just want to chat about that a bit. Yeah, I appreciate this opportunity. So we, one of the things to point out is that domestic violence is called domestic violence because it usually happens inside the home. So when it happens outside the home and it makes it to the media, it seems it's it seems far more egregious. And many times it is more egregious when we hear those cases on the news. The reality, however, is it's taking place all the time behind closed doors. And many times nobody talks about it, nobody reports it. Um, we've commended the individual who reported it to uh, dispatch because uh, again, many people do not. Sometimes it's just because they don't know what to do. They're shocked by it, or many times people think it's not their business. But I'm here to tell you that doing that can help. And it's hard to say because we don't have all the facts, um, what could have happened. We do know that Gabby did live another day after that interaction with Moab Police Department. In fact, she lived a few more days 
And so that that interaction could have could have given her those extra days. We really don't know that. And I think that's why it's so important for us to, as humans, to recall, remember that we're all humans and, and recognize, I think, the, the patience, the kindness and the understanding that was provided by those responding officers, as well as by that National Park Service Ranger. You know, we as victim service providers, we are dependent upon law enforcement in the response because many of these cases do end up very violent and we need those trained law enforcement professionals to ensure the safety of all parties involved. And so I think that's something to point out. It is, um, it seems we wanna be able to put the blame on someone who we can right away put the blame on and, and even someone who can respond. And so, you know, sometimes we find people who are involved and they become the target. But I would remind people that we need to be careful about doing that because some of the responses I've seen to this case have been, I would say, pretty violent from members of the public. And if we're trying to reduce violence, violence begets violence. So we need to find a different approach that focuses on the humanity and focuses on the fact that people need help. Perpetrators need help. As, as Gladdy pointed out, we want to teach people about healthy relationships, that healthy relationships are possible. And if that can't happen, then we wanna connect them with the resources they need to either safely stay in that relationship because we know many people will, or to plan to safely leave or to safely leave and stay safe after they leave. One other thing I wanted to point out, a criticism I saw often of Moab police was um, they gave the man the hotel room and the woman the the vehicle but as you pointed out to me the vehicle was the home correct and that's progress so for those who haven't been involved in domestic violence who are just now becoming aware and becoming advocates we thank you we also want to point out that for many years and sometimes still the victim is asked to leave their home and find alternate shelter and so in this case they recognize that the the van belonged to gabby Gabby, that was her home. It was her home on wheels. It had been for a while. She stayed in that home. There, there also uh, are services that are available to provide that alternate shelter. So if someone else in that relationship, whether it's Gabby and Brian or anybody else needs alternate shelter, there are funds to provide that too. These cases like the Gabby Petito case that end in tragedy are the reminder that we have so much to work, so much work to do within our own communities to create uh, healthier relationships and the environment for them, because domestic violence comes in so many forms. And maybe we can talk a bit about that, Gladdy and Liz. There's emotional abuse, there's financial control, there's technology abuse. It's not just physical abuse, Gladdy. Yes, um, and it's true. Uh, Abuse comes in so many different forms. And um, a lot of times, the victims uh, are not even aware that they are being abused because they uh, have seen the definition of domestic violence as uh, as a form where um, has been a physical only. And so if they consider that um, they have not been physically abused, then they think, well, you know what, I am not a victim of domestic violence. I cannot reach out to get those services. I cannot reach out for help. When 
Um, we have to understand that this is a power and control issue, and we should all have power over ourselves. And the moment that you lose that power and someone has control over you, that is the moment that you need to reach out for help, because that is the moment when you are there is violence, and it may not be the definition that everyone um, has grown up with. But if there's emotional violence, if they're if they are keeping you isolated, if they are controlling you financially, that is when you need to start reaching for help because those may be those first red flags that may um, uh, take that relationship into a more abusive relationship and probably more dangerous relationship. Liz, what is the coalition doing to advocate or advance healthy relationships in Utah? So through the pandemic, one of the things they've done a lot are webinars, and we've had great reach with that. We've trained people, not just in Utah, I mean, the beauty of the internet is we've connected with people around the country with these webinars, and we provide them on a variety of topics. And so that's been one of those um, silver linings, if you will, of the pandemic, is that we have been able to increase our reach with training. We also host an annual conference on domestic violence, again, with that focus being education, collaboration, advocacy. Additionally, the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition utilizes the Maryland model of the lethality assessment protocol. So it's often referred to as LAP. It's a tool that law enforcement is trained on to um, conduct an assessment of an individual who is experiencing or who they suspect might be experiencing abuse or violence. These questions are intended to identify these red flags as Gladie points out that might result in um, a, a, a fatal incident or greater, more severe injury, physical injury. And so basically the way it works is we offer the training um, once they, they enter into a, a memorandum of understanding with Utah Domestic Violence Coalition, they partner with the local victim service provider. I know there are agencies in Davis County with whom the uh, Safe Harbor participates with. And again, around the state, same thing happens. And, and the intent is if when they conduct that assessment, regardless of the findings, but especially if the findings would indicate that they're at high risk, they immediately connect them with a victim service provider. However, as Gladie talked about power, I wanna point out that empowerment is key. That word power in empowerment, we want those individuals to have the power to make that decision. So even if someone interacts with law enforcement and even if law enforcement says we have great concerns for your safety, that individual still has that right to decide what their next step will be. And it would be unfair of us to take that right away from them just as it's unfair of their perpetrator to take their rights away. So I think that's something important to emphasize. You know, there's such an obsession with true crime podcasts, TV shows, and movies. We have a salacious appetite for domestic violence in our popular culture, it seems. And I'm just curious, any comments on that when it comes to, you know, an individual response to domestic violence? You know, what we consume shapes our attitudes toward victims, survivors, and perpetrators, Liz. Yeah, you know, I just watched a documentary last night that really um, reminded me of how important it is for us to focus on humanity, focus on the fact that we're all human beings, 
and to not blame or shame. And blaming and shaming is something we in the domestic violence and sexual violence field have seen for a long time, but we're seeing it more and more, especially with social media, where people have no qualms about absolutely destroying people's lives. And, and I mean that by like emotionally, financially, just by things they say that are cruel, that are unnecessary, and that are violent. So, yeah. You have to be talking about 15 minutes of shame on HBO yes. Max with Monica, <laughs> with Monica Lewinsky. Who... It, yes, you have to watch it. Everyone really should. And, and then just check yourself. Like, why are you going to think before you respond? Count to 13, you know, what, no matter what you're doing, just take a breather and decide really what value is going to come of this. If you're really mad about the way somebody responded or the way uh, Brian Laundrie treated Gabby, type in those numbers, 1-800-897-LINK. That's the response we want to see people sharing. And Gladie, what are your thoughts on our popular culture and how it shapes this conversation of domestic violence, especially during October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month? You know, and I, I agree with Liz. I think, yeah. It's um, our culture is just te teaching us to uh, come to these conclusions. And sometimes they uh, think that everything is so easy. Um, when you look at a show, you think, well, this is very easy. You can leave that. Um, and these are the resources. Why are you not using them? And why are they choosing to stay? Um, or why are they not talking about it? Um, there are so many reasons as to why. And every case is completely different. It is our um, it, it, it's our need, and actually, it would be nice if every single person would just learn to listen and um, and just be there, just be supportive, not even um, tell a person what to do. Um, ask them, what do you need from me? I believe that you're going through something very difficult. What would be the best way for me to help you? Uh, what would be, what, you know, is there, is there anything I can do to make it so that you can get to that safe space? What is it? I am that safe person. If you, if you can be that friend, that family member where they feel comfortable talking to you, um, do count to 10 or 13 or whatever before you offer any, um, any suggestions or, um, you know, anything, just, just take that moment and ask them what I get that you told me this, this is, must be very difficult for you to even talk about. Thank you for sharing that information. What can I do for you? Where can I be of of most health. And that's going to be how you're going to make a difference in that person's life. And they can potentially then know that because you're a safe person, they know what the next steps might be. And they can share some of that, those next steps. And you can eventually, if they tell you, I would like for you to reach out to a place nearby, what can I do? Then you can offer that help. But in the meantime, just be supportive, just be there and listen. Well, Gladie and Liz, what can our listeners do for your organizations and the other eight that are part of the Stop the Violence Utah campaign this month? How can we support organizations? I understand there's quite a few service projects throughout the month. There's so many things that... Um, the, uh that everyone can do right now. And I would say our community can start by, again, just um, talking about it, 
bringing awareness to this issue. I invite everyone to just be courageous and start um, having these discussions at the table. Uh, just be able to talk to your friends and your family because domestic violence is known as a silent problem because it is something that we do not discuss. Uh, hence the reason why a lot of people still believe that domestic violence does not exist in the state of Utah when we know that it does exist and unfortunately continues to increase. Uh, make sure that you look around, uh, donate, and definitely uh, provide that volunteer time. I think, um, and, and help us be able to talk to policymakers to make those changes that eventually can help um, a victim or a survivor of domestic violence. It's extremely important that we take um, that time to look at those um, our, our policymakers, those people that are making the changes in our laws every single day and let them understand how important it is for them to support our cause at all times. Thanks, Gladys. We'll put a link in tonight's show notes for the Safe Harbor Crisis Center up in Davis County. Thanks for your time. Thank you. And Liz, the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. How can listeners help? Well, those three words, advocate, collaborate, and educate, I think those are key. And, um, you know, I, there's a lot of normalizing of violence, but there's not a lot of normalizing of healthy relationships and healthy conversations. So I would encourage people to learn more about healthy relationships that educate component and healthy communications. And then once you have those under your belt, then start looking at ways that you can take those skills you've learned, build relationships with people who can advocate, build those conversations with others and get out there and help us educate, advocate and prevent domestic violence. Maybe take those skills, those communication skills as we sharpen them up and not only use them in our own individual lives, but especially virtually. Like you were yes. saying earlier in the show, so much of the commentary in cyberspace, whether it's Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, the the all bets are off when it comes to commenting on social media, I think compounds the problems. Yeah, I agree. And watching that documentary, there's some great um, statistics shared there about what the psycholo psychology is behind all that and how, again, that violence, that outrage begets violence and outrage. So, and then be patient. If there's just one more thing I can say uh, to add on to what Gladys said, be kind and be patient. So if you are helping someone who's in an abusive relationship, bear in mind, these people are in a relationship with someone who they love, who they might have children with, they've built a life with, and trying to um, make sense of what's going on, figuring out how to stay if they do stay, or figuring out how to dissolve that is a lot of work and they may not um, always be ready when you hope they're ready. And so being there for them, being patient, uh, Laura, I mean, I know I've shared stuff with you. Lean on other people. If you're helping someone and it's exhausting you, it's important for you as, a, as someone providing that care to, to do self-care, to have other people who can help you. So I think all of that is key. We've got to be there for each other and we've got to be there for each other in a healthy way. Thanks, Liz. We'll put a link in the show notes to the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition this evening. And since I know you're Liz in Salt Lake City and have great song picks, give us something hopeful to go out on here. Why don't you? Oh, gosh. OK, now you put me right on the spot. Um, lovely day. I want to do lovely day. 
because we should always be focusing on the loveliness of our day. There's got to be some part in every part of our day that is lovely. So find that. Find the lovely. You got it, Liz. Thank you, Liz and Gladdy. This is the Bill Withers tune with Studio Rio. Lovely day. Enjoy on KRCL. When I wake up in the morning, love, and the sunlight hurts my eyes. A lovely day. Bill Withers in Studio Rio on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones, and that's it for Radioactive, a show plugging you into your community with conversations and a playlist to match. Democracy Now! coming up at 7, Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8, The Late Night Lowdown with Connor at 10.30, and Chovy checking in with his super sounds at 1 a.m. Don't forget, start your brand new day with John Florence at 6 a.m. Thanks for listening to Radioactive tonight. I'll leave you with one of my favorite songs to come out this year, a song sure to chase away the drizzly day. Johnny and Johnny, Twin Shadow on KRCL.